you mentioned God earlier. I didn't think about God once in this movie. Like, <laughs> that's a box quote. Mm. <laughs> Welcome back to the ADR Podcast. I'm Brian Hamilton. This is the second weekly episode of the show. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, today, I have a very special guest with me to talk about a very special movie, something that's been on my mind for quite a while since I saw it. Uh, it's the guy that made that thing, Andrew J. Clark. How's it going, man? Good. I'm, I'm special, apparently. <laughs> you use the word special like three times in that sentence. Well, because this is a special movie. I mean, like... Okay, so... <laughs> the special people. Imagine... Okay, so most humans use 10% of their time. What would happen if you used 20% and you'd get someone that hosted a bunch of awesome podcasts and made an awesome calculator app? So I figured you'd be the perfect <laughs> person to talk to about this movie that uh, jug uh, juggles percentages and statistics like it's nothing. I agree. I feel very, I feel very taxed. I feel like I'm using 100% of my time to do, <laughs> to do even half of that stuff you just listed. But no, man, thanks for having me. I've been uh, looking forward to doing this. 100% of your time, man. Uh, as we'll talk about later, that's a little bit dangerous. Uh, so we're talking about Lucy today. Um, when did you see this movie? Um, I saw it uh, a few weeks ago. I think the first weekend it came out and then a week later uh, in a drive-in. They had like sort of a movie marathon with uh, uh, that film and a couple of other films and we watched them all. And that was the second time I saw it. made more sense the second time, um, but as we'll get into didn't make that much more sense. So this is a movie that, you know, you saw it twice and you're still like kind of reeling from it. Um, <laughs> what would you say to someone that hasn't seen this movie? We're going to make this whole episode spoilers, but for anyone that started to listen that um, hasn't seen it yet, uh, would you recommend it? Uh, how would you sum it up in a few sentences? Um, well, I mean, the way I've been describing it is imagine Crank but made by um, like an eighth grade science teacher uh, <laughs> crossed with sort of the ending of 2001 A Space Odyssey. If that sounds like your thing, then if, if you're interested in any of the parts of that <laughs> Venn diagram I've just brought, uh, that I've just drawn with my, my mouth pencil, then, <laughs> then go ahead and see it. But I cannot recommend this film <laughs> in a way. I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I've changed since I've, since I've seen it. No, me would you too. recommend? Would you recommend that someone find God? That's a that's a that's a that's a big call. Wait, that's what you got from this movie? Okay, so we're gonna. <laughs> Dude, she becomes God. All right, sorry, spoilers. We're going to spoiler horn now <laughs> with our not ADR spoiler horn. Uh, so Lucy, uh, we've started talking about this already. <laughs> Thank you, Mister Spoiler Horn. <laughs> so we've already started talking about the ending. Might as well jump in there. Um, <laughs> Because, okay, so what I'm hoping for this episode of ADR to be is not so much a normal walkthrough of a movie like I've been doing, but kind of just break this movie apart and, you know, tear it up, look inside it, figure out what the hell happened in this bizarre 89-minute thing that we both sat through. You sat through twice and you're still, like, reeling, reeling from it. Uh, okay, um, maybe we should start at the beginning. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a way to jump in at the end, and I'm, I, I can't do it. This is such a huge mess of a movie. So, Lucy. A great mess. It's a great mess. It's a pretty mess, um, for one thing. I thought this movie was beautifully shot, but um, there's no substance behind it. Like, what do you think of the visual style? 
so for me, this is this is the film that I would have made had I had the idea, like you know, and the budget and the ability to do it in like uh, university while studying film, because it mixes all of the things I like. It's got you know this sort of femme fatale slightly robotic main character and as the film goes on she gets more and more robotic it's got you know these kind of amazing action sequences but there's also the novelty of how she starts to see the world differently through the course of the film so that's all good (laughs) like like i like all of the pieces in it and kind of despite the film's best efforts i sort of enjoy the film as well quite a lot (laughs) like i could totally watch it again it's just so interesting to me to see this character piece by piece kind of transcend the boundaries and limitations of reality through the course of these sort of these action-packed 70 minutes and become something totally and utterly unrelated to what she was at the beginning. And I think it's at the beginning that it starts going a little bit weird. So... I don't know, maybe you can tell me what you thought about this, but I thought it was really strange that we're seeing this character grow and change through the course of the film, but we have barely any idea who she is at the very beginning because the film just sort of begins and it's already into the you know inciting incident. You're right. I mean, we get absolutely no context for who this Lucy girl is, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, I compared this movie a lot in my head to Breaking Bad. You know, you start with one character and you end with a completely different character just because so mm. much stuff has happened to him or her. And I feel like with this movie, you know, we start off with this character, don't know a single thing about her. But as the movie goes on, I think she becomes less and less of a character, like a real actual character. Um, mm. I really didn't think that she was compelling as like a person to latch onto because the movie is called Lucy. It's about Lucy. We're following Lucy. I think there's only maybe five minutes total of the movie where she's not on screen. She's not part of the action. Mm. So why would they pull the rug out from underneath us and make this character change so much to the point where at the end, she's not a character. She's a goddamn USB stick. <laughs> I think she might be the universe. She might be the universe. She's like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy meets Web 2.0. I mean, I, <laughs> I we'll talk about like the ending later, but I feel like the fact that you know we're supposed to follow Lucy in this movie called Lucy about Lucy, we had nothing to go on. Mm. Yeah, and and to Scarlett Johansson's credit, I think in those early scenes. She acts her heart out and tries to make a sort of compelling and relatable and interesting sort of character. But, like, I've got no idea what she wanted before the film sort of began. I guess she's sort of meant to be a party-going raver chick mm. or something. But but it doesn't mean anything. And because, and because we don't know who it is, that we've got no context for why what she's changing into is good or bad. It's still fascinating, but it sort of seems a bit like a, a bit of a missed opportunity that they could have had a really great character along with what I found a very intellectually interesting analysis <laughs> of what humans might evolve into. Um, but there's just sort of not a lot of heart to it. But that's why that's why it reminds me of the sort of things that I you know used to write and the sorts of films I wanted to make because I'm totally into all of those ideas of um you know transcending reality and the nature of matter and the universe and all that sort of thing but it's just not quite enough to actually kind of latch onto your heart what do you think of the way the film is kind of 
the entire film is framed and intercut uh, with a like kind of science lecture that Morgan Freeman's character is giving uh, alongside kind of a documentary almost. What do you think of that as a, as a device? I thought it was complete BS uh, as I was watching. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate the fact that they tried to tie that science stuff in to make this really ludicrous plot, you know, mean something a little bit more than action, drugs, life, like, none of those things came together well, but they tried to tie it together with, like, relating it to real-life things. A, I think the quality shifts ruined the movie for me. I mean, it was perfectly clear, high-definition video until it cut to, like, stock footage and it became all grainy. The aspect ratio changed. That took me out. B, I thought it just broke up the action in a really, really weird way that didn't suit the film's pacing. Um, Have you ever seen Mean Girls? There's a bit where they say, I know how this would happen in, you know, jungle world. And then they like start acting like animals. That's exactly how I felt about this. <laughs> there's a point where uh, Lucy's looking at the, um, at a bunch of the, you know, Yakuza gang people that are walking out of the hotel. And it's intercut with shots of, I guess, like a lion, tiger, jackal kind of thing, like spying on its prey. And like, okay, clever. I guess it's a nice framing device. I had no idea why it was relevant. I had no idea why these drugs and, you know, Yakuza people had anything to do with life or this lecture they were giving or that Morgan Freeman was giving or, you know, what any of this had to do with, uh, you know, life and the circle of life and all of that stuff. But in terms of, you know, just the pacing and the way that, you know, they intercut it with the footage, I thought it was completely wrong, um, especially because this is such a stylish movie and it just threw it for a weird curveball that didn't work in my eyes. Did you like it or did you like, did it bother you at all? Like what? I mean, I found it interesting because I found what they were talking about interesting, but it's sort of, it's like the film is so scared that the audience is not going to understand these big conceptual leaps that it's making that they, it kind of pulls too far in the other direction, I think. And so, so like that scene you were talking about, like, all right, yeah, we, we get it. The, the Yakuza are bad guys and she's going to be their prey. You don't need to literally spell it out. You don't need to literally <laughs> say, like show then shots of the, you know, the, what was it, like a cheat, you know, a couple of cheaters on the African savanna hunting a gazelle. And it's like an interesting way to sort of intercut that. And it kind of, you know, it's, it's like, um, like um, you know, it's sort of traditional montage editing in that sort of that film school. 101 sort of way about imbuing images or putting images next to each other in such a way that their meaning sort of informs one another. But it's just not necessary because what's actually happening isn't that complex and we don't need sort of, we don't need that side of it to get sort of spelled out. I feel like, I, like I'd be very curious to know if like the shooting script had that stuff in it. Yeah, I agree. And, and sort of, uh, I don't, I didn't mind so much the Morgan Freeman intercutting because that was kind of real content in of itself and it was informing how we interpreted what was happening to Lucy. So like if we, if we didn't have this sort of framing reference of, you know, this 10%, 20%, 30% and we didn't have that explained at all by Morgan Freeman, you know, talking to this lecture hall, then I don't know, the film might just seem like she's just becoming a superhero in a way, like it would sort of be, be missing something. But then intercutting with all the documentary footage just seems like too much. It's like, all right, you, you can you can use your you can use your one trick, which is intercutting the film with this speech, you know, this this talk, this lecture. But you can't then sort of cram in a documentary film into it as well. You have to you have to sort of pick one. 
And I think I, I think I'm fine with the Morgan Freeman speech. I think documentary was a, a little bit too much. I feel like Morgan Freeman was a little bit too heavy-handed as well. Not as much as the documentary footage, but the fact that he had to spell everything out for the audience. And yeah, I, I, dig, <laughs> I get that. You know, as the movie goes on and they start showing the percentages, you understand what that means. You know, ten percent's normal, twenty percent. Okay, science, real science aside, ten percent's <laughs> normal, twenty percent is ridiculous. No one's ever done it. Thirty. Whoa, Nelly. But there's a point where you know his lecture became way too on the nose and there was a point where I was watching okay we we get it this kind of stuff is happening and we know that Lucy's going to go beyond 20% somehow uh, I did enjoy like the dissonance between uh, Lucy's and uh, kidnapping or not kidnapping like she was captured I enjoyed watching Lucy being captured juxtaposed with Morgan Freeman because I was like wait why are these two coming together when are they going to come together why is that kind of stuff you know when's it going to happen I enjoyed that but I didn't enjoy like watching Morgan Freeman on his own give a random lecture for five minutes at a time especially not with the really <laughs> bad documentary footage uh, there's also god I've never seen so many animals having sex in my life that was the most uncomfortable thing I've ever seen <laughs> You need to broaden your film tastes. Mm, Andrew, I don't want to know what you watch. So there's, so we have these uh, moments where Lucy is you know, captured and juxtaposed that with Morgan Freeman. What did you think when you were watching? You, I can assume when you went in, you saw, okay, this is a 10%, 20% brain thing movie. What did you think when you like saw <laughs> them? <a> genre? <laughs> yeah, that's a genre. Like we've sighed so exasperately this entire like time recording so many times. This movie's just exhausting. But <laughs> what did you think when you were watching? Like, were you waiting for the two to come together? Were you waiting for the percentage brain thing to become relevant while you were watching this weird abduction thing happen? Like, what did you think of all of that? I mean, I went into it having seen the trailer, so I already had a notion of it. Um, but I did really enjoy those first scenes. Like there's a um, there's a real darkness and kind of uh, twisted, dry sort of humor to you know when she when they're getting her to open the briefcase and she's describing what's in it and and he's having to talk through her translator like uh, through his translator. Um, I really I really dug all of that. I also really like the scene where um, the English guy is explaining the deal to her and the other three you know carriers. Mm -hmm. I think that's 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 a really great scene. Um, I wish that guy had more to do in this movie. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like I I, I sometimes just replay some of his lines and his little um, sort of um, um, his affectations, the way he sort of you know uses his hands and sort of smiles and like he's just a great character. Um, I think one thing this film really does have going for it, and that 10% on screen every 10 minutes or so, that really does a lot to help you understand this film and um, sort of keep track of where you're up to, where it's going, and where these inflection points are happening. So I actually think that was pretty, pretty effective. Of all of the kind of like the artificial devices to help this movie along, I sort of think that led to this great sort of feeling of suspense as it's getting higher and higher than, oh my God, it's at 100% what's going to what's gonna happen next. Um, so I actually think that was pretty effective. feels like a long, it's like a really long short film in some ways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They padded it out so much with a bunch of random stuff. We'll talk about maybe some <laughs> of the stuff that could have been cut later. But from like a film student sense, there's a point where you're watching and then you're so detached from it because in between you and the action are these percentages. 
that are just mm. popping up and they're like reminding you there's a piece of glass like between you and this action and there is this other stuff that like we the creators are interspersing into the movie like the documentary footage the percentages uh, other random stuff cuts back and forth and I guess Lucy becomes so detached as the movie goes on that it's nice to feel equally detached and kind of watch it from like a super third person perspective I'm sorry I hope this is the most film student -y I get in this uh, this episode but I agree. I did enjoy like the percentages and the way that it helped the uh, pacing and you could see where things were going as things were going on. She ends up with like new quote unquote powers that um, like as the movie goes on, it has a little bit of that uh, thing that superhero movies do where they will introduce that she has an ability and then she uses it once just because she knows she has that ability. And the audience <laughs> is like waiting for it. It's like, it's like that uh, scene in every James Bond where, uh, you know, Q gives Bond all his gadgets and stuff, and you say, hmm, I wonder how that's going to be used. Oh, I wonder how that's going to be used. And each gadget has one scene. That's how I felt about Lucy and her powers. Like, in every scene, she's using, like, a different ability that she ends up having, thanks to her increased brain power. I don't know. I thought it was a little bit of a cop-out. Like, I, her powers were interesting, but this was a superhero movie, in a way, with this weird intellectual theme thrown on top. <laughs> It, that's the funny thing, though. It's not clear through most of the film what she really wants. Like, she seems to need more of this drug, and so she's, for, for a bit of the film, she's kind of using the police to get all, you know, these bags together so she can keep taking the drug because for some reason her body <laughs> wants it and she starts melting on it and dissolving on a plane at some point. Um, but it's just never quite clear what the stakes are. Like, there's, like, she isn't racing against time to save someone. She's trying to save herself, but we don't even really know who that is or why it's important. We're not giving a lot of sense for if she's a hero or not or what she's going to do with this power. And that's why, you know, again, as we were saying before, the real shame of not establishing more about her as a character is that there's just a weightlessness to, to the whole thing. Agreed. So, I, like, like I, and that's the thing. Like, it, seems, it sounds to me that you really didn't enjoy this film very much. I really enjoyed it. Like I was totally, totally into it <laughs> and I just wanted to see what happened next. And I found seeing her, seeing her play around with her powers and, and that, that move where um, she like just shoves the guy, the male friend cop uh, out of his seat <laughs> into the passenger seat, sort of impossibly like through the <laughs> ear stick, like stuff like that. Just like, I was like sort of fist pumping the air when that sort of thing was happening. Um, but the whole thing could almost just be a music video. Ooh. That's true. It really does have that kind of sensibility where things are really light and fun and, you know, there's beats and beats and beats you got to hit. And it has that same kind mm. of rhythm as a music video, like without, you know, the music. But it's got that same and, kind and of... And all those shots where she takes the drug and it's like, you know, bouncing around and making fireworks inside of her, her nerves and inside of her brain. Like, like, I dig all of that. And it's all like, um, it's all like a visual metaphor it's it's explaining what's happening visually um rather than sort of literally and that's where the things like the documentary part of it is so bizarre but so you know the scene where she you know um she gets um attacked by one of her jailers and you know gets kicked in the stomach and presumably that's when the you know the satchel in her stomach bursts mm -hmm. where she's where all the fireworks are going off inside of her and she starts like climbing up the walls and like gravity and stuff starts shifting mm -hmm. i found that really cheesy and ridiculous at first but then i realized oh that's not what's actually happening that's just what it feels like to her it's the like it's meant to give us the feeling of floating or getting pulled apart in different directions 
Um, so if you can sort of keep that in mind, I think some of the film makes a little bit more sense. Really? Some of those bits. In particular, if you sort of imagine, all right, this is kind of how it feels to her more than literally a physical telling of what is happening, you know, in this fictional world. That's how, that's how, that's how I justified it, at least. <laughs> I didn't think about that at all. I thought this was, you know, literal. I didn't play this movie as something that would, you know, show things really metaphorically just because of the way everything was cut together. It felt very straight until the yeah. drug happened, and I was willing to buy that the drug actually did this, that she did actually levitate up around the room. Yeah, and, and when I was thinking that, I thought, oh, that doesn't even make sense. Because even if I buy this idea that somehow using all of your brain, whatever that even means, can <laughs> give you superpowers and allow you to, like, manipulate the world, she hasn't got those powers yet. It's too early. Like, it's, it's yeah, it's just too early. It's a shame they didn't sort of edit that in such a way that it was more suggestive of being, like, kind of like a lucid dream as opposed to... A physical sort of happening. A lucid yeah. dream? Oh, is that a title? I can't believe I just said that. Oh, mm, it could be. It could be like the intro to the show. <laughs> anyway, um, so going back to the fact that you thought there was no real like conflicts, like why she was trying to save herself or like trying to figure out what's going on. Like, why are we watching this movie? Like, no stakes, is it a real thing? I suppose. Yeah, the stakes. Um, I thought, like, they tried to throw in, like, the Japanese gang and uh, Mr. Jang. Uh, that's his name, right? Uh, Mr. Yes. Jang, yes. Um, I thought they threw them in as a little bit of, like, a driving force behind the plot. Like, they had to keep moving. They had to keep getting away from them. And in the end, they had to face them. But then you mm. get to this ridiculous point where, at the very end, you have Lucy in one room, you know, hacking away at her computer matter life self thing. And in the other room is a giant random shootout between the cops and the gang. And you don't know why that's important. Uh, you know the cops are there to, like, you know, arrest the bad guys. That's what they do. They arrest the people with all the drugs. And they're there to, uh, you know, get their drugs, sell it, make it a big thing in Europe, like they were talking about earlier on in the movie. But why do we care about that when this movie is about Lucy, when the movie is about this whole weird life thing? In terms of uh, Lucy's own, you know, driving motivation i feel like once the drug started to kick in and her brain hit like 20 or 30 percent she started becoming like super animatronic robot lucy um and started caring a lot more about her vitals and herself like i feel like she sees her body as like a sims character where it's like okay fix that like give them water give them you know time in the bathroom <laughs> give them love whatever like the things that they need she sees all the little like meters that each of her like organs and limbs has so when she gets into the hospital, she says, okay, uh, fix this. My pancreas is about to explode or whatever it is. You know, things like that. And she's trying to keep herself alive. And then on the plane, for some reason, this one moment feels really telling to me when she uh, raises her champagne glass and says, to knowledge. Like, that's what this movie seems like it's about. It's like knowledge for knowledge's sake. Uh, the way that she keeps going on, keeps going on, trying to figure out what's you know happening. Her weird little diatribe to Morgan Freeman and his team of doctors when she's like floating around the pen, making it double, saying, no, time is the only thing that really validates anything. Um, her like exploration to get this knowledge and to get this weird thing that's out there that no one has seen before except her. I feel like that's her motivation, but that's not conveyed very well at all because the dialogue <laughs> is all BS and the plot is nonsensical. They could have done a much better job. You know, the imagery was great. Um, seeing Lucy go back in time and touch the first Australopithecus Lucy was incredible. 
Um, I thought it was cheesy that they brought in the dinosaurs and like the computer uh, animated early human, but the imagery of this movie is brilliant. The script and plot needed a lot more work to get what they were trying to get across. <laughs> across. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you're sort of convincing me that I don't like this film very much. <laughs> <laughs> See, the thing is, you're convincing me that I liked it. I mean, I had a blast well, with this movie. Well, yeah. I mean, it's fun, but it, it's like... Okay, so imagine a film like Crank. I mean, that's sort of a bad example because Crank does have stakes because you do care about the main character in Crank. Exactly. This, so this is, this is all the energy of Crank with none of the heart. And I think <laughs> that's the main thing with this film is that over and over, I guess that's also kind of why I kind of love it a little bit as well and just am, am amazed it even got made, is that every aspect of the film talks to the brain and almost none of it talks to the heart. And obviously a really great film needs both of those and they need to be interwoven in such a way that you can't even sort of um, extricate one from the other. But so in this film, um, in that hospital scene where the doctor is, you know, pulling out the half, the, uh, half empty <laughs> bag of drugs and she calls her mother and, and explains to her that something is happening to me and, you know, I can, I can remember all of this stuff from my childhood and her mother's just a, a little bit confused, probably a drinker. Um, <laughs> and... That whole that whole long slow pan in shot is just so painful because it doesn't feel real. It, does, it just feels it just feels silly. Right. But then in the next but then in the next scene when she's like you know uh, snapping her fingers and an entire room full of people just faints. That feels real. That feels more real than the heartfelt emotional scene from you know from five minutes earlier. And so it's stuff like that 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 makes this film so interesting to me is that it's over and over. A guy like me, who is quite happy to just have a film talk to my brain, like um, uh, like I like I quite enjoy the Matrix sequels because they're <laughs> theoretically interesting and they're visually oh, sorry. interesting. Wait, wait, wait. The Matrix. Let me re- let, <laughs> let me let me let me step back a bit there. Jesus. <laughs> let me reel that back. Zach likes Blair Witch Two. You like the Matrix sequels. I don't know what the internet is anymore. Oh, you didn't let me finish. I enjoy <laughs> watching those films. I don't okay. really like them very much. Like, like because of that same thing. There's just no, there's no soul to them. There's no heart in them. There's no character to invest in. And Lucy's the same way. And I don't understand how this film got made. Like, sort of walking out of it, or even just moments when this most batshit and crazy stuff was happening. I can't understand how they got money for it. How they found a distributor for it. How how they got Scarlett Johansson and Morgan Freeman to agree to this insane script because because it shouldn't work and it sort of doesn't work that well but i sort of admire the the bravado of it like so think about steven spielberg films where sometimes there's too many sappy sort of scenes in some of spielberg's films this is like the polar opposite of that where there's it's all brain barely any heart and yet somehow it got made and somehow it's just kind of entertaining and thrilling to go along for this crazy ride and it's like it's not a great film but it's like a great example of what a film could be. Hmm. That's that's interesting, the way that like this film could be something more in that, you know, it's possible to make a movie that is about this kind of thing that's still engaging with, you know, your brain and your heart. I feel like there's a third element to it as well, like your adrenaline. This movie was a blast yeah. to just kind of tune out your brain, tune out your heart, and just kind of watch the fun gunshots and chase sequences happen. Uh, I enjoyed the fact that they tried in both fronts, but some of the brain stuff is laughable. Uh, that science has been debunked, and you know everyone knows that's just that's ridiculous. But the thing is, with um, 
with the heart. I actually quite enjoy the scene where uh, she's in the hospital bed and calls her mom. Scarlett Johansson gave a wonderful performance there. Um, I think she made the best of like crappy dialogue to just kind of tune out and be this weird kind of robotic Lucy character. She was great in this movie. Uh, But what pisses me off the most about the way that the dialogue and the heart was really handled in this movie was when people react to Lucy and the way that she does things, uh, the way that she can like materialize things and, uh, you know, move stuff around with her mind, like the way that people react to that, the way that people, you know, say these kinds of things. I thought it was absolutely ridiculous. The way that people are like, (laughs) Oh, you can do this. Wow. Like they were bewildered. It's like a kid that learns maybe a new skill. Maybe he can do a Rubik's Cube and he brings it to school and he's like, yeah, guys, look at this Rubik's Cube. I can do this Rubik's Cube. Like he expects everyone to go, wow. But no, they don't. They're just kind of like, huh, cool. I feel like in a real situation that like if Lucy was in the real world, people would be freaking out a lot more. They wouldn't just say, oh, wait. you can see into all of our cameras and you know all of my research after looking online for five minutes. Huh, okay, I'll roll with it. Like, I feel like these characters just read the script and said, okay, I need to roll with this because movie says so. Like, no one reacted genuinely in this movie. Except Morgan Freeman. You think so? I think so. Like, that's that scene where he's just trying to trying to deal with the sudden realization <laughs> of what he's <laughs> facing and she's like taking over the radio and stuff. I actually really, really buy Freeman in that scene and it's sort of old stuttering <laughs> ways. Um, I don't know. I thought his scene there was a little, like a little bit too heavy handed like that. You know, I, if I was a scientist, I would probably be freaking out. I, I bought his disbelief. Hmm. Now, that makes sense. I mean, you kind of have to buy your disbelief in that sense because this is such an unbelievable thing that's happening. But, (laughs) you know, I feel like his disbelief, in in my case, anyway, would be a lot more, like, external, a lot more, what the hell's going on? Stand up, flip the table, run away. Maybe not run away, but, like, (laughs) at least think through things a little bit more. You're a scientist. You have a mind for this kind of stuff. You know, think through things before you react and you buy everything that Lucy's telling you. I don't know. I thought it was... I thought it was insane. <laughs> That's why you're not a great actor. All the acting has, all the the great acting happens on the inside. <laughs> yeah, but no, I don't know. I mean, it may be that um, if we bought into the premise <laughs> in sort of a different way, um, I can see how we could sort of read that scene in a very in a very different way with very sort of different expectations. Um, whereas, whereas I was just sort of I was just into it by that point, so mm. so I didn't really you know sort of question it all too much. I think one thing that, I mean, you know, you asked me before, would I recommend people go and see this film? And I, sure, I'm not the boss of you. You can see whatever (laughs) film you want. But I sort of think it is worth seeing for the kind of end interdimensional journey through the cosmos sequence that happens at the end when she gets to 100%. What did you think of all that? I thought that that final sequence, first of all, when the room went white and Morgan Freeman's like, (gasps) She's making a computer. I was half expecting Johnny Ive to pop out of the corner and say, yes, well, this new generation of the Apple thing is... Uh, <laughs> that's where Johnny Ive is. And we finally figured it out. That's where Johnny Ive is. Johnny Ive is a designer using 100% of his arm. <laughs> so he's there. Uh, she's doing this whole thing with a computer, like hacking in. And the way that, again, going back to what I was saying before, Morgan Freeman saying, oh, 
she's hacking into the computer. Like, to A, tell the audience, and B, like, try to be bewildered. I thought that was a facepalm into the... Anyway, um, while she's going through this weird interdimensional time journey thing, I thought that it was beautiful, you know, eye candy. It was a wonderful way to illustrate that, yes, she is everywhere and everything and, you know, doing that kind of stuff. But at the same time, why do we care? That was like the last five minutes or so of the movie. Her going like into Times Square, watching this wonderful, you know, time lapse -lapse footage of, uh, you know, Times Square, and then going all the way back to, you know, the 1800s and then to the Big Bang. And like all all of that stuff was pretty, but I don't think it served any purpose. Uh, Again, maybe we're buying into this movie very differently. I thought it was wonderful eye candy that didn't really engage my brain. Um, You were much more latched on to, you know, what the movie was saying as opposed to how it was saying it, which I love. I mean, I, you mentioned God earlier. I didn't think about God once in this movie. Like, (laughs) that's a box quote. Mm. And there's a point where I was wondering why I was caring about any of this. And thankfully, <laughs> once that hit full force, the movie ended. I don't know how... That's really interesting. So you got just more and more detached. Um, whereas I started to, in that end sequence, started to get really interesting, interested rather in the, in the idea of what the, what the title even means. And that, so the way I interpreted it is that as she's growing smarter and more kind of becoming a demigod (laughs) before she's literally a god and she's trying to i think the main thing she's trying to figure out is what is her place in the world what is her what is her purpose um and then in that final big warpole sort of scene she um travels back to um to meet lucy the um you know early hominid that that she's essentially named after um you know they do the little sort of uh, god touching man finger Pose from that painting. Close, not not the not the painting I was referring to, (laughs) Um, but yeah, that's that same thing. Um, And so I think the idea is that okay, so first you have you know um, man as kind of animal, then you have man as sort of sentient, self-aware creature, and then Lucy is the next step of it. Um, I think that's kind of kind of what they were going for and sort of trying to tie all the space and time together into I guess that we're all just part of this long process and there is an end point to it or there is a trajectory out in front of us that knowledge and sort of evolution is meant to steer us down um, so that's that's sort of the kinds of things I was thinking about and it's all very heavy handed and you know the way she like you know they touch fingers in that sort of you know fingers sort of like you know the gift of knowledge type way um it is not very subtle in a way but but i sort of enjoyed it you know (laughs) like i sort of and i enjoyed seeing her sort of flit around all of time and space and just because i just find that visually and intellectually stimulating and again again there's not a lot of heart in it but but it still it still had my interest i suppose and seeing their ver- seeing their version of the multiverse was really cool. You know, all those sort of those um, those black black kind of um, upside down uh, tornadoes almost, and in- inside each of those is a different universe. Like I was I was very interested in seeing all of that. Yeah, that was really cool the way they visualized it, especially. But at that point, I guess I was so latched on to Lucy as a person 
And I really missed uh, the earlier scenes in the movie where she was a really cool character. The first parts of the movie, she was kind of, you know, plain old girl. We don't know anything about her. Once the drug kicks in, she becomes a really kick-ass Lara Croft-style character, and I love that. That was my favorite chunk of the movie when she becomes, you know, someone, you know, who can fend for herself, go to the hospital, say, no, you fix me mm. now. And then by the end of the movie that we're talking about, when she goes on her weird journey... I didn't think it like there's no that, character left. There's no character. Point. Exactly. Yeah. Um I really didn't enjoy that because I liked having that one character and I guess the whole rest of the movie I was like yearning for that really cool kick-ass Lucy to come back, but she never did. She just became more and more detached until the movie became about the world and everything that you know, everything that the world and the universe and the multiverse is. But at that point, why make the rest of the movie about Lucy? What does she have to contribute to <laughs> yeah. this whole endgame that the movie tries to do? That's how I felt about the ending. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, oh, geez, I hope you're not waiting for an answer for that because <laughs> you'll be here for a while. So uh, allow, me, allow me to pitch a different version of this film, which, and we'll see if that would have worked for you better. So uh, you know Donnie Darko? Oh, I love Donnie Darko. Imagine a blurring a sort of a meshing of these two films. So through some random circum... Well, okay, so through this circumstance, you know, there's there's all the same setup and everything. She gets the drug injected in her system and starts becoming this more powerful being. Um, And imagine if the film had a real preoccupation with the idea of free will and sort of versus fate. And as she was starting to get smarter, she was starting starting to be able to predict things would happen and she could tell you what's and on before it even gets flipped. As her ability to understand time kind of stretches more and more in, in kind of in, into the past and into the future. But then the main thing that she'd be trying to figure out through the film is why has this happened to me? Why am I becoming this thing? And what is the purpose of this? And you can sort of, and in the current, the current non Andrew, <laughs> Andrewified version of this film, she does <laughs> struggle with that. And she's trying to figure out what the point of it. And the conclusion she comes to is time is the only thing that matters, but really knowledge is the purpose of all of all things that's what cells pass down to one another you know in, when one in morgan freeman's speech but then imagine that there was the donnie darko ending where i mean i don't spoiler know spoiler alert yeah spoiler alert for donnie darko i mean if you haven't seen donnie darko well, anyway um <laughs> but you know so the whole the, the thing i got from donnie darko i mean <laughs> one interpretation of it because i got very into it for a brief time um, is basically there is there's a singularity sort of event occurring. There's a black hole occurring, or other that's going to occur, and the whole point of everything was basically to um, to get the main character, who is the key to kind of stopping that event, into the right place at the right time, so that he's sort of able to undo it. What if there was some sort of event happening like that? Like there was a fundamental flaw in kind of the foundational layer of the universe, and all of reality was about to kind of implode. And it's only through her using all of her new ability and her new knowledge, but also her heart, her her remembering that her needing to remember that humanity is something worth saving. Through all of that, she would be able to sort of solve this problem. And maybe the way she solves it is she actually has to go in. She sort of becomes this God creature, has to go into the black hole and kind of thereby the world is saved. Like you can imagine some sort of version of that working where there is something at stake where there is something for her to kind of do to move towards. Yeah. And, and like, and, and, but maybe she had a daughter as well. And so really it was all about her kind of saving the universe. So her daughter could 
live the life that she wasn't able to. Like, there are ways you could have this character with these powers. It could be a heart in a story like this. But the sort of the film almost goes to lengths to not have any anything re- re- sort of resembling a soul. There's there is no sort of pulse to the film because as you know as we've said, she has no past. She has no. I mean, she has family, but you don't get the impression she cares a bit. Like so, in that final scene where she you know becomes God and disappears out of the chair, I'm not thinking about how it's going to affect her parents. They're not. They're you know they're puppets that were used to make some earlier point which I didn't understand. Mm. So. I'm a little disappointed that it wasn't able to be something a little bit more artful where there was a point to any of it. And ultimately, it is kind of just a, a cool trip, but I don't think it had to be. I think all the ingredients are here. They just didn't quite sort of, weren't quite put together in the right configuration. I agree. But still fun and interesting, but a little bit of a missed opportunity. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's fun and interesting, but the way that they tried to throw everything together did not work one bit. Um I had fun. I really enjoyed a lot of the stuff that happened in the movie and the way that it was put together was beautiful in some ways, like some of the editing and the stuff that interspliced that we talked about earlier didn't work at all for me. But the fact that they were able to make something like this, you know, really heavy handed musing on, you know, life, death, the universe, everything, Douglas Adams, the the way that they're able to do that with this budget, with these actors, have it make money blows my mind. Uh, Did you have that like movie pitch already planned out or did you just make that up on the spot? Uh, On the spot. Jesus. As you were talking, I was trying to figure out what, what, what is a problem she could solve that her knowledge would actually be worthy of. Exactly. And there was none of that. Some, Some kind of universe. Yeah. Like some, and so for her, what she needed was actually something to struggle against, something that was kind of worth her using her amazing powers against. And so then the conclusion in the end of this uh, <laughs> uh, Andrew plus Lucy film would be that <laughs> like, she had to go through this journey and become this thing because that was the only way to stop this calamitous event. Like That would resonate. That would be kind of somewhat relatable. <laughs> Whereas here, you know, there is no just none of it, just none of it matters. There's nothing at stake for anything you know i agree like it's a shame there's a point where you know i wanted to keep watching but i just kind of well i did keep watching i finished it but there was a point where i was like okay why am i watching why do i care about what lucy's doing and Mm. when like i can name three points in the movie where i was like okay i'm interested again one was the phone call in the hospital I liked that moment that at least it was there, that she was coming to terms with the fact that she's this weird, new, all-seeing being. Uh, The second was when she was on the plane and she was panicking that the drugs were going to, uh, you know, kill her, that she needed the drugs to stay alive, something like that. Mm. First of all, she disintegrated. Did she, like, come back together or, like, that confused me? Yes. Well, that's that's how I interpreted that. Okay. Um, I was really hoping at that point she just kind of became sprinkles of matter in the universe everywhere and um she would just kind of infiltrate things she ended up doing that in the end but the fact that you know that didn't happen <laughs> that's then. really weird that's like what is to, there's nothing to stop the film just ending there like what if it turns out the like the natural course of this drug and this thing that's happened to her is for her to sort of become this gaseous omnipotent being the film could just end there and it would have about the same kind of resonance like exactly. like the, the world would be left in the same sort of position and she doesn't even kill uh, uh, Mr. Jang at the end. The the male cop does. Exactly. What a cop out. <laughs> cop out. There's a, yeah, like, why doesn't she kill him? Like, there's no conflict there. 
he's just kind of there to drive the plot along. And I think the drug itself is a really interesting kind of MacGuffin for what this movie is trying to do, which is, you know, Luc Besson trying to remake Tree of Life in 10 minutes at the very end of the movie. And <laughs> I think that when he keeps going and trying to track her down, trying to track down, you know, all the drugs, why are the drugs there? At the end of the movie, again, like Lucy, what does she mean? What do the drugs mean for humanity? Does this mean that anyone can come in and become a god? Does this any mean that, <laughs> like, you no? Know, they were trying to sell this to teens in Europe. I mean, can you imagine if an evening of, you know, getting high and playing video games involved going on, like, a life-defining universe-traversing <laughs> trip? Now, see, that is a great film idea. That's the film I want to see. <laughs> if it turns out there's um, people ODing from this drug are turning into demigods, fuck yes, like... Imagine that. That would be really interesting, and that would have stakes, and that would have conflict. Are we try- do we need to stop this drug? Do we need to? Does everyone need to take this drug? Is this actually is this actually the next sort of stage of human evolution? That's way more interesting than this myopic, tiny little tale about a character we barely know. And that's the other strange thing that so the drug hasn't been eliminated from the world by the time Lucy has you know turned into a god. Aren't they just going to make more of it? And then I mean, maybe that opens opens up the door for a sequel, but. The world is not left in a different state. The only thing different is Jang is dead, oh, and they've got this USB hard, uh, this USB with all of the universe's knowledge of it. But what are they meant to do with that then? Like it's just it, it asks all of these interesting questions, and then just gives the most mundane, small, boring answers. And when you ask it, another one of these questions, it, ha- it has it has no answer. The only answer we get at the movie at the end of the movie is "I am everywhere." Uh, okay, yeah. great. What what do we do with that? And then she and then she says that line. I can't even remember what it is. It's like even when I saw her, I like I didn't laugh out loud, but but I just thought, oh, what does that even mean? There's no <laughs> that doesn't resonate at all. Like you have the knowledge now, you know what to do with it or something. <laughs> but it does. But do what? You haven't explained anything. You haven't said what we're meant to do with the knowledge. Turn into God. Like it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. When everyone's God, nobody is. That would be much of a better final line oh wait that'd be really interesting if everyone never mind (laughs) we should make the sequel oh we should make a sequel andrew Mm. um from wikipedia possible sequel in april 2014 wondercon interview besson was asked about the possibility of a lucy sequel and said that with lucy you'll see the end of the film i don't know how we can make a sequel but if the film is huge then i'll think about it but where can the movie go from here like there's no possible way that you know what can we do with all of this knowledge that's not an answer or that's not a question <laughs> that a movie can answer at all um are you a fan of death note i kind of want to be i've heard of it i just watched my first two episodes of kill a kill and i'm falling for anime but i've never seen it tell me more sure so the i mean i don't know how well i mean i read it like five five years ago or something the, the manga that is um so i don't know how well known it is but the idea is that there is a book called a death note that falls to earth and this kid this um really smart um young adult picks up this book and anyone's name that you write in this book uh, as long as you like imagine their face as you're writing it um will die basically they'll either have a heart attack or they'll get hit by a car and you can set you can sort of preset the date you can set up circumstances to do with it hazel for life and death yeah, yeah, exactly, but with pen and paper. A very a very skeuomorphic version of Hazel. Um, <laughs> but so it starts off and it's just about this sort of kid becoming a bit of a psychopath, as he, but sort of a superhero as well as he's basically cleaning up the streets and taking, you know, writing every criminal's name in this book that he can find and changing the world, basically. 
but what's really clever about it is it doesn't end with and then he runs out of bits of paper in this notebook or some, somehow someone manages to kill him. It grows into this much larger thing where he is like, and it's all anonymous because obviously he can't afford to have everyone know his identity, but it becomes this giant chess game between him and this kind of strange Sherlock Holmesian type detective who's just as smart as he is and they're sort of playing this giant chess game with all the people of Earth. Um, but it turns into this massive kind of global world conflict and the entire world is changed because if you think about it, if you if suddenly six months from now we realize that anyone who commits any crime and is reported on it will die within a day, that will change things. This film could have ended up somewhere like that. Like what if she did become a divine figure and decided she was Jesus? Or what if there was someone else who decided to be kind of the antithesis of her? Like, you know, and it turned into like knowledge versus power as being the, the crux of the sort of, of the conflict. Like there's so many ways that they could have taken this really interesting premise and gone to interesting places with it. But they sort of, it's like they took the smallest, most conservative interpretation of all of those sort of fundamental building blocks. And I don't really understand why that happened, but I sort of would be interested in a sequel because I think, I think the drug and the premise is more interesting than where this particular film sort of ended up. Exactly. I mean, you're right. This movie needed conflict. That's my biggest problem with it, that there's really no reason for you to keep watching other than, oh, things may happen later. Let's see. Um, okay, things may happen later. Let's see. Nope, nope. I mean, by the end, it's <laughs> interesting to see, like, the way that she's grown and the way that she's kind of become this new entity, this new weird thing that no one's ever seen before. But on the other hand, why do we care? You know, she's not a character. And going back to Death Note, that's amazing that, you know, by the end of it, he, like, the world has changed. I want to see how the world changed thanks to Lucy. Mm. With Death Note, I guess that's something that you can, you know, muse on as a writer, say, okay, what would happen if your death is imminent and you, when you committed a crime, that would change things. And that is an interesting premise uh, for like a story. You know, you can muse on that. You can figure out uh, how your characters would react, how people would react, make some larger point about humanity. With Lucy, there was none of that. I felt like it was all technical <laughs> jargon and like random stuff. What stands out to me is the most ridiculous part of the movie was when she's sitting down at the table with Morgan Freeman while her brain's at like 80 or 90% or something. And, She's like, well, you know how you guys have numbers? Well, numbers aren't real. You know how you guys have matter? Matter's not real. You know how uh, time is the only thing that matters? Yeah, that's kind of it. Like, that whole thing was ridiculous. If that was, like, the ultimate point of the movie, then I think this movie is a failure. Um, <laughs> on, like, on paper, at least. I enjoyed the fact that they tried, you know, I've mentioned that before, but the fact that that is the one thing that stands out to me and it stands out to me because it was BS. I mean, <laughs> I, they tried. You did not, you did not believe what this film was trying to say. No. I, did it try to say anything? Well, I mean, clearly it was trying to say some things, but it seems like um, they sort of broke the contract with you as the audience, as the audience mm -hmm. participant. Um, and I think, I think that's probably, the only sensible reaction to a lot of the stuff in this film. <laughs> but all of that all of that being said, it's unlike any other film I've ever seen. And I think it is worth watching. I think, you know, I think if you don't go into expecting this is going to be 
you know, film of the year or the new Donnie Darko or anything, then and I think it's quite possible to be stimulated and interested by sort of the questions that it asks and kind of uh, some of the pretty interesting effects. And I think there are some really great scenes like when she comes out of the hospital and is starting to look around and can see kind of radio waves and the veins inside of trees around her. And there's sort of this great um, kind of creepy violin, sweepy type music, uh, not violin, but some very interesting sort of musical choices used throughout the film. Um, so I think, I think there are a lot of really great little moments that it is worth watching it for. But in the end, <laughs> in the end. I mean, maybe it'd be better just to watch that final sort of 10 minutes on YouTube or something. Or watch Tree of Life, much better movie. Um, yeah. I feel like this movie as a whole is fun, and I would recommend it. This is, despite everything I've said on the show, despite how you guys probably <laughs> think I feel about this movie, I will probably buy this on Blu-ray and watch it many times. I thought it was, you know, a wonderful just kind of sit down and watch movie. Um, there are times where I was just kind of laughing at it, and I feel really <laughs> bad about that when it's not like an outwardly bad movie like Birdemic or The Room, but in terms of this movie, they tried and failed, and I, I sometimes I tried to tell myself that it was intentionally tongue-in-cheek so we can enjoy it, because there's no way that... <laughs> people like behind this movie, Scarlett Johansson, Luke Besson, um, Morgan Freeman, that they would go out and make this movie this serious. I feel like for a movie that tries to take itself so seriously and take the science behind it so seriously, it didn't like, it's so difficult for its audience to really take it seriously because of all the stuff that's happening. They put all their eggs in the wrong basket. They took themselves too seriously, but not the science. Like, I don't know if it, it wasn't serious enough for me to say, yes, I agree with everything you're saying, and I agree that this is a compelling plot for a movie. It'd be like if, like, Crank tried to have a big moral lesson at the end of the film. Yeah, or if Donnie Darko tried to make a giant statement about life. Or Spider-Man started dancing. We don't talk about that. <laughs> There's only two movies. What are you talking about, the first two? <laughs> um, what do you think could have been cut? That you mentioned this is kind of like a really long short film. I felt like they padded it out with a lot of stuff. Um, I mean, obviously, there's the documentary stuff, which sounds like it didn't really work for either of us. film was too long, for what it's worth. And particularly seeing it the second time, I was much more aware of just how... Like, it's got a lot of momentum and energy through the whole thing. It's sort of, you know, aside from like the hospital scene, there's no bit where it really slows down or sort of takes a break. So, So I don't think specifically there's a lot of stuff that... Like, I don't think you could sort of make this into a better film by cutting very much stuff out of it because mm. it's kind of got the bare number of the bare minimum pieces and scenes sort of as is. What do you think? Um, long car chase scene could have been cut. I don't know why it was there. I don't know why they decided it was necessary, especially because Lucy just kind of says, OK, let's go and decides to drive like a maniac. Like it. <laughs> I see. I enjoyed, uh, but I enjoyed seeing how she was avoiding crashes and just sort of manipulating the world around her and shaping all everyone else around her to avoid her car. Like I found that, I mean, again, interesting. Maybe not that exciting, but interesting. It's interesting for sure. But I think that was a turning point in the movie for me, where I that scene started, and I said, "Wait, why is she driving like this? Why is she doing this? She's putting innocent people in danger for no reason whatsoever." And that was the point where I decided, "Okay." I'm going to tear this movie down because I think it's ridiculous. And then about halfway through the scene, I decided, you know, this is a really well shot car scene. 
I'm going to stop caring about this right now and just kind of enjoy it, let it wash over me and take it at face value for what it is and stop trying to break it down. Sure seems like she could have just warped there, though. Like she'd already shoved the, you know, the other guy between seats. Couldn't they have just floated there or something? Yeah, she didn't get her apparition license from from, uh, Hogwarts yet, but that's in the sequel. Um, That's at 65%. Oh, God. (laughs) Um, So my problem with the fact that, you know, that car chase scene was a cue to me to kind of tune out, let this thing wash over me because it's not supposed to take itself seriously. There's a goddamn car chase in the middle of this intellectual movie. Then it starts getting really, 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 really intellectual again. And I was so confused by... I was sitting there like, okay, big monologue about, you know, brainwaves and matter and energy and time and things. Get to the good stuff. And there was some good stuff. There was a giant, you know, ridiculous, well-shot gunfight between the cops and the Yakuza. But in the end, it meant nothing. We spent 90 minutes hanging out with this character for maybe three minutes of a giant gunfight. That ultimately means nothing to the rest of the plot, which in itself ultimately means nothing. Uh, the fact that, you know, let me pull up the Wikipedia article, uh, Luc Besson, he, what was it, he's been called the John Hughes of action movies due to writing his screenplays for his own action movies. If you're going to write and direct your own movie, I feel like you need to have a kind of vision for your ultimate end product that this movie didn't really have. It had the action-y scenes, it had the... Um, really intellectual matter science scenes. And then at the center of it is this girl named Lucy who does like next to zero as a character. She's interesting enough in the beginning, but we don't know her well enough. She's a badass for maybe five minutes at 20%. And then the rest of the movie, she is a robot just kind of being the focal point for these two weird sides to come together that make no sense on their own. Or no, I'm sorry. They make sense on their own together. They don't work. And I feel like that's exemplified by the last scene when Lucy's sitting there, you know, turning into the computer. Morgan Freeman's there going, what the hell's going on? The cops come in. Uh, Mr. Jang comes in. They're all looking at each other, wondering what to do. All they see is Lucy. Lucy's there turning into a computer. She just... And then that's the point of the movie. It's everyone just looking at Lucy, watching her do stuff. And I feel like that's, in the end, what this movie really is. is kind of watching Lucy do stuff with a bunch of stuff going around her. Not really understanding what it means. Exactly. I can't, for the life of me, figure out why these four parts came together in this way. <laughs> I'd be very interested to hear what you think if you see it a second time. Maybe having kind of a little bit more of a sense of what the film is about and maybe being more able to kind of accept it on its own terms. Um, I think you might have a kind of a better time with it because I sort of just I sort of just went along with it and was interested by it. Whereas it sounds like you sort of struggled internally to figure out what it meant and what you sort of felt about it. And um, you know, it, it seems like you had to keep kind of recalibrating your expectations of it. Um, whereas just going in sort of a little bit more neutrally, um, I, I wonder I wonder what you'd think a second time. I mean, the film certainly the film the film certainly hasn't earned it. <laughs> Let's mm. be clear. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I will watch it again. But the thing is. On the one hand, you got something out of it. You, you know, went. You told me all about what the ending sequence meant to you a little while ago. That was brilliant. I'm so glad you got something from that because I was watching it going, okay, New York, <laughs> early humanoid dinosaurs, why am I watching this? You got yeah. something out of it. That's perfect. On the other hand, watching it a second time, you mentioned how, like, I, I feel like this movie 
is really built on the fact that you don't know what's going to happen next. So if you see it again, you really need to have a love for the stuff that's on screen because you know what's going to happen. You're not wondering as much, you know, what's going to happen to this character because you know. You know, that's, you, know, you watch a movie a second time, you know the freaking ending. But <laughs> with this movie, I feel like all of that is gone. As I was sitting there watching this, I was waiting for something to happen and nothing ever did. Um, watching it a second time feels like an exercise in insanity because <laughs> if you if you want something that wasn't there the first time, it's not going to be there. That's this movie. There's no, like, I feel like it's very face value. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. When you watched it a second time, did it feel like any uh, longer or more, like, not boring, but, like, did it feel like a... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, I wasn't sure if Skype was cutting up there for you. Just pausing. Um, now, the second time it felt kind of, it certainly felt a lot faster, I think, because I was probably paying a little bit less uh, attention to it, mm. um, to the point where even the sort of the hospital scene, <laughs> conversation I don't really, don't really like, um, that was bearable the second time. Um, I was definitely less excited through it because like the first time I was really excited to see what would happen to her and I was keen and eager for her to start kicking ass and getting her powers and everything um, so the whole thing was a little bit sort of less interesting but some of some of that other sort of the deeper level stuff you know in that final 10 minutes uh, sort of sunk in a, a little bit more yeah I get that I mean that those final 10 minutes really were like the cherry on top of this movie for me in a way but it was a rotten, moldy, weird <laughs> cherry with two stems. It didn't make sense. Um, so, what would you what would you give it out of five? Uh, I'd give it. Can we a, do this? Oh, we we could do this. Um, yeah, I was going to ask if you had any closing thoughts. I would give it like a three because I think it's you know daring, daunting. Really, it was an exciting movie, and I will probably watch it again. But it fails on so many fundamental levels. Like I would give it a five on one hand and a one on another hand. Yeah. I'm going to average them together and put it. <laughs> I think, they were firstly, I'm not sure. Is that how maths works? Will that average? It will average to three. I can confirm for you now as a guy who's made a calculator <laughs> that the average of five and one is, is three. Um, yeah, I think I feel the same way. Like, in a way, I want to give it five stars. And in a way, I don't think it deserves any stars. So I think three is sort of sort of where it, where it sits. Exactly. I'm excited for this to like find a new audience in maybe five, ten years. In yeah, I suspect it'll have sort of a, um, a kind of an odd, oddly specific sort of cult following uh, eventually, for just being this weird, audacious, not really that successful. Well, I mean, I guess it is successful, but film-wise, not that successful, but still kind of like I think it's worth. Do you think it was worth the money they spent to make it? I think it might have been. For forty million for like an actiony sci-fi movie, I mean, District Nine was maybe thirty. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I really love that film, but oh, I love it. But like it is, like it is, like it's 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 a gloriously failed experiment. But I think there's value in that. I don't think there's value at seeing a failed experiment because mm -hmm. it teaches you other things about the world and and the sorts of films we're not seeing. It's definitely it's definitely much more worthwhile than Transformers or oh Jesus or something yeah. of that ilk. You can make 10 Lucy's with the money they spent on Transformers. and <laughs> You might uh, get a good one out of it if you roll the dice at times. <laughs> you ever see that community episode where they just roll the dice and like see how the different dice numbers end up working out with like the social dynamics in the group? <laughs> no, I don't think I've seen oh, that. Oh, it's brilliant. I, f I feel like if you're into this sort of thing, like um, no time, space, chance, all that fun stuff, you would enjoy this episode. Um, 
I, I don't know if it's available down under where you are, but it, it'll probably be somewhere if you really want to find it. Uh, Andrew, tell the listeners about you. Uh, what do you do? Where can they find you online? So you can get uh, this uh, amazing cool calculator, which I can't even be bothered pitching. Calculator without equal. It's called Numerical. It's in the app store. Um, I guess I don't really have any other podcasts or anything else to talk about right now. So just follow me on Twitter at Andrew J. Clark. Fantastic. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us on ADR and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Cheers. Bazinga. Mm. What are you drinking tonight, Andrew? <laughs> Nothing. Well, an energy drink, actually. Mm. Spite with anything like I always was on the menu bar? or No, no, no this is just how I normally am. <laughs>